Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Tonight we are continuing our teaching series on Bible doctrines entitled Theos. And tonight we're going to be teaching on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's been well said that if you get Jesus wrong, then it doesn't matter what you get right. And the most important thing is having a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. We believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he was God in the flesh. We believe that he was born of a virgin. He was crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, that he's now alive in heaven, seated at the right hand of the father in all power and authority. And that soon and very soon that Jesus Christ is going to return for his bride. If that's what you believe, I want you to give God a hand clap of praise. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of John here this evening. If you don't know where John is, Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, John. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Would you pray with me here this evening? Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, God, to teach your word tonight. Those here, those watching by live stream, Lord, we ask that you would give us an ear to hear what the Spirit wants to say to us, God, that you would give us revelation of your truth here tonight. And Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen, amen. and amen. When Jesus walked upon this earth, he was 100% God and 100% man. How many of you believe that here tonight? Jesus was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. In everything that Jesus accomplished on this earth was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this here tonight. If Jesus, the perfect son of God, without spot and without blemish, needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and ministry? Philippians chapter 2 in verse 5, Philippians chapter 2 in verse 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. There you see the deity of Christ. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. There you see the humanity of Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and th those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How many of you know that every knee will one day bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? You can either confess him now or you can confess him later, but every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when it was God's appointed time, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I'm giving you a, a lot of verses here tonight. So if you're taking notes, you're probably going to have to watch the replay. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Speaking of Jesus Christ. One other verse here, John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist. Now, John, he's the first Baptist that's spoken of in the Word of God. <clears throat> As Pastor David Hall said it this last Sunday, he wasn't just a Baptist, he was the Baptist. That's a whole nother level. That was quite the accomplishment. John the Baptist, he said in John chapter 1 and verse 29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Introducing Jesus and his ministry. Now, I want to deal with tonight, I want to deal with the humanity of Christ and I want to deal with the uh, divinity, or you could say the deity of Christ. First, dealing with the humanity of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I want to make it very clear that this verse here does not mean that Jesus sinned, but it means that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He became a man as us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The whole reason why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, conceived by the Spirit of God, was so that he would not be tainted with the sin nature. The Bible said that in order for the sin to be atoned, it had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish. Every lamb that you saw throughout the Old Testament was a type of the perfect lamb of God who would come without spot and without blemish. And so we see here that he was a man. We see that Jesus physically, that he would get tired. You see that in John chapter 4 and verse 6, that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And you see in uh, John chapter 11 and verse 35, you see that Jesus wept. So you really, you see the human, the, the physical aspect of Jesus, that he was a man like we were yet without sin. He was God in the flesh. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture it was when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and the reality of the suffering that he was about to endure was overwhelming to him. The Bible says that he sweat great drops of blood, which is an actual physical condition when somebody is under so much stress it can get to the point where there's their glands open up and they sweat drops of blood and the stress was so great thinking about what he would have to endure, that he said to the Father, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any way other than the cross, if there's any way uh, other than this suffering, take this cup from me. Then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but sure will be done. And he said the words here, he said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
I think we find ourselves in that same place oftentimes where our spirit is willing to do the will of God. The spirit is willing to follow after the Lord, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh, he dealt with that same thing. He dealt with that same battle between the flesh and the spirit, the, the same battle between the physical and the spiritual. And the Bible says that because he went through that struggle, he's now able to help us in our struggles. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. And so this again relates to us as, as humanity. And then it says that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful for that here tonight? That Jesus destroyed the power of death. He destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the power of the devil. When he said it is finished, he was saying the work is done. It's completed. I have defeated death, hell, and the grave. And if you're thankful for that, can you give God a mighty hand clap of praise? And then we see the deity of Christ in John chapter 20 and verse 28. And I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to give you an overview here tonight. So I'm trying to hit on the main points, but I'm going to show you some examples of the deity of Christ because there are many who even proclaim to be Christians uh, and they do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And here you see Jesus after the resurrection and Thomas said to him when he saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, he said these words. He said, my Lord and my God. Now, there are some who try to claim that this was just an expression of surprise. Now, maybe in our Western culture, maybe we would use that expression, my Lord, or you see something crazy and you're like, my God. But there was no indication here in this passage of scripture that this was an expression of shock or astonishment. Thomas, he was recognizing Jesus not only as his Lord, but as his God. He was was saying that's my Lord and he was saying that is my God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who being in the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person in upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It said that he was upholding all things by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 19 says this. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of God was in Jesus. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. He wasn't partly God. The fullness of God dwelt in him. One more verse here. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so we believe that not only was Jesus the Lamb of God, not only was he the Son of God, not only was he a prophet, not only was he a miracle worker, Jesus was God in the flesh. And so that kind of gives you an introduction. But now I want to kind of back up here tonight to the Old Testament because you could say it like this, that the Old Testament serves as a treasure map to Jesus. Again, the Old Testament it serves as a treasure map to Jesus. It points you, it directs you to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament in primarily two different ways 
Number one, through prophecy. And number two, through types and shadows. Again, Jesus is revealed throughout the Old Testament, primarily in two different ways. Number one, through prophecies, messianic prophecies spoken of throughout the Old Testament. And number two, he's revealed through uh, types and shadows. And even Jesus said himself that the Old Testament was about him. You see that in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Another passage, John chapter 5 and verse 39, it says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And then in verse 46, he said, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You know, the, the Pharisees, they, they, they memorized scripture, they studied scripture, they studied messianic prophecies, and yet they could not see the Messiah when he was right in front of them. And, and, and you know, this is such a powerful truth that, that it's not enough just to know what the Bible says. It's not enough just to acquiesce to Scripture. It's not enough just to have a head knowledge, but we've got to have a revelation of Jesus himself. We've got to know Jesus himself. The Word of God testifies of the person of Jesus. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, and so you can have more degrees than a thermometer, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're missing the whole thing. Jesus told them if you truly believed Moses, then you would believe me because he was writing about me. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, you see a messianic prophecy all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when God said to Satan, he said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Again, he shall bruise your head. And I believe this here is referring to the cross that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, meaning that, that the serpent's head, it was crushed at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, he crushed the serpent's head. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand serpents. I cannot stand snakes. I've been in places, I've been to Africa and had some of the most venomous snakes, at least one of the most venomous snakes in the world show up 10 feet from us in the same building. I hate snakes. I can't stand snakes. And serpents are a type of the devil. And God prophesied all the way back here in Genesis chapter 3 that Jesus was going to crush the serpent's head. There's no better serpent than a dead serpent. And Jesus, he crushed the serpent's head. And God said here in the process that he shall, that you shall bruise his heel, which I believe was in reference to the physical suffering that Jesus Christ would have to endure. And you see all throughout the New Testament that the New Testament identifies types and shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. For example, for example, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, it compares Jesus with, with Jonah and says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. John chapter 3 and verse 14 compares Jesus with the bronze serpent and says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John chapter 6 verses uh, 32 and 33, it compares Jesus with the manna. It says Moses did not 
give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Hallelujah. Which means that all of the manna that was provided for the children of Israel, when they were wandering in the middle of the wilderness, that manna was a type of Jesus Christ. Just as God provided the children of Israel, the people of God, sustenance every single day, God is saying that through his son, Jesus, he will provide for you everything that you need. You ought to pray the prayer, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. You know what that daily bread is? That daily bread is Jesus, and you can have as much of that bread as you want. Hallelujah. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, it compares Jesus with Adam and says that Adam is a type of him who was to come. It was the first Adam that brought sin into the world, and it was the second Adam, speaking of Jesus, who took sin out of this world. It is he who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it compares Jesus with a Passover lamb. It says, for indeed our Passover was sacrificed for us, which means the Passover lamb in the Old Testament was a type of Jesus. You know, when they consumed that lamb in the Old Testament sacrificial system, they were required to consume the entirety of the lamb, which means that there wasn't supposed to be anything left over, which means in under the new covenant that we can't just take bits and parts of Jesus, but we've got to take Jesus, we've got to consume the whole lamb, which means that we can't just receive him as our blesser, we got to receive him as our convictor. We don't just receive him as our savior, we receive him as the Lord of our life. We don't just receive him as our salvation, we receive him as the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. We don't just receive him as the first coming king, we receive him as the second coming king. You've got to consume the whole lamb. He was the Passover, hallelujah. In First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it compares Jesus with the rock that accompanied Israel in the wilderness. It says that Israel drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that, and that, and that rock was Jesus Christ. Just as that rock, it, it, it followed the children of Israel, you have daily spiritual nutrients through Jesus Christ. Every day, Jesus Christ can satisfy your thirst. Every day, Jesus can satisfy that longing within your soul. And so that rock was a type of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, it compares Jesus with the cities of refuge. It says, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Jesus is your city of refuge. When you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself in oppression, when you find yourself in affliction, you will not find yourself in possession as a child of God. But when you find yourself in oppression, you have a city of refuge, and that city of refuge is Jesus Christ. You can run to Jesus any hour of the day. Hallelujah. 
When you feel that oppression of the enemy, that affliction, many are the afflictions of the righteous, you can run to that city of refuge. You can run to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, it compares Jesus' body with the veil in the temple that was torn. And many of you, we just sang that song, I enter the holy of holies, I enter through the blood of the lamb. For those of you who don't know, before the cross, there's a four-inch veil that separated man from the holy of holies. It was only only the great high priest that could go beyond the veil, but not anybody had access. But once Jesus' body was torn, once Jesus went to the cross, that veil was torn in the temple, and now whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Anybody can enter into the presence of God through the Holy of Holies. And so that veil was a type of, the, of his flesh. When that veil was torn, it was a result of Jesus' body being torn. It was a result of Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice for you and for I. And so the cross, it revealed the access that believers have to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20 says that we have a new and living way which Jesus consecrated for us through the veil, which is his, his flesh. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, it compares Isaac with Jesus, that when Abraham sacrificed his son, it was a picture of God sacrificing his son for you and for me. Abraham, he offered up Isaac, and he considered that God was able to raise him even from the dead. Hallelujah. And so that was a type of God the Father sending his son for you and for me. I love what Abraham said. He said, God will provide. Hallelujah. God will provide. Isaac said, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb? Isaac didn't know that he was the lamb. But you know what? What's amazing is that Abraham, and I didn't plan to talk about this, but Abraham, he told the others, he said, me and Isaac are going up to worship, but we shall come again. And, and you know what's amazing is that Abraham, he already knew that God told, told him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. And, and Abraham's faith was so great that he knew that even if he placed uh, Isaac upon the altar and he thrusted that knife into Isaac and that, that fire up underneath burnt Isaac to where there was nothing but ashes. Abraham had the faith that God could raise him back up again. Hallelujah. That was the kind of faith that Abraham had, and that, that was a type of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so you see many Old Testament prophecies, Messianic prophecies that spoke of the coming of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 tells us that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, it says he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he would he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. 
And then in verse 7, it says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Which was prophetic of Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. Jesus, at any moment, he could have called down angels from heaven and, and escaped God's redemption plan for, humili for humanity, but Jesus, he opened not his mouth. He knew it was the will of the Father for him to go to the cross. And can I tell you that the main purpose that Jesus came on this earth was to die on Calvary's cross for you and for me. As great as every miracle was that he did everything, uh, a sick person that he healed, uh, the dead, the dead that he raised up, everything was another step closer to the cross. It was all to confirm that he was who he said he was, that he was a perfect son of God, that he had all power and authority, and that he had come to redeem all of humanity. Hallelujah. If you're thankful for that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. All the way back in Zechariah, the prophecy of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was already spoken. This is all messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is that the Jews can read these passages of scripture and they do not see that it's all prophetic of the Messiah is prophetic of Jesus Christ. You see shadows of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis, he is the breath of life. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's your high priest. In Numbers, he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Israel's guide. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he's Israel's guard. In Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is a trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. In Ezra, he is a true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is a rebuilder of walls and of lives. In Esther, he is your courage. In Job, he is a timeless redeemer in psalms he is the morning song in proverbs he is our wisdom in ecclesiastes he is a time in a season in song of solomon he is a lover's dream in isaiah he is the prince of peace in jeremiah he is the weeping prophet in lamentations he is the cry for israel in ezekiel he is the call from sin in daniel he is a stranger in the fire in hosea he is a forever faithful in joel he is the spirit's power in amos he is a strong arms that will carry you. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he brings revival. In Haggai, he restores that which was lost. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's not just God. He's now our Messiah. In Acts, he's a raining fire from heaven. 
In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, he's the power of love. In Galatians, he is the freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the God in the Trinity. In Thessalonians, he's our calling king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he, he's the everlasting courage. In James, he's the one that heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our faithful shepherd. In John and Jude, he's the lover coming for his pride. And in Revelation, in the very end, when it's all over and said and done, he is and will always be the first and the last, the beginning and the lamb, the end, the Lamb of God, the great I am, in our Savior forever. Hallelujah. That's who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Glory to God. From Genesis to Revelation is Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Hallelujah. When that ram was caught up in the thickets in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 13, when Abraham needed a sacrifice, the Bible says it was caught up in the thickets. And those thorns, those thickets were a type of the crown of thorns that would be upon Jesus' head. Hallelujah. And Daniel chapter, chapter 3 and verse 25, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace for not worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's idol. The Bible says that, that Nebuchadnezzar, he commanded the fiery furnace to be turned up seven times hotter. Do you ever feel like that in your life? I mean, it was already tough. You're already in the fiery furnace, and then it got turned up seven times hotter. He said, I want you to turn it up seven times hotter. And when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, what's interesting is the Bible does not say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw a fourth man in the fire, but it says that those were who were from the outside looking in, they said, what's going on here? They said, we, we threw three in, but we see a fourth man in the middle of the fire. It was a type of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And can I tell you something here tonight? When you're in the middle of your trial, when you're in the middle of your fiery furnace, you may not see how Jesus is getting glory in that situation. We sing that song, even when I can't see it, you're working. And those on the outside are usually the ones that see Jesus in your situation the most. They're usually the ones that are, are, are affected the most by the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life. And they say, I don't know how you can say so, stay so strong in the middle of that trial. How, how do you remain so lifted up and encouraged with all these things going on in my life? All those things going on in your life. You know what you can tell them? There's a fourth man in the fire. Hallelujah. And his name is Jesus. And he will never leave me, leave me nor forsake me. Which means that no matter what I'm going through, no matter how hot the, the fire is tonight. And only you know and only God knows how hot the fire is tonight. Only you know the pressure that you feel on the inside, the affliction of your soul. But I want to encourage you here tonight. There's a fourth man in the fire here tonight. Jesus is in the midst of the, the fire. Hallelujah. The Bible says he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. 
And oftentimes we want God to take us around the trouble. But usually he takes us through the trouble. And when he takes us through the trouble, he's not taking you through the trouble alone. But Jesus is in the middle of that fire. Joshua, another preview of Christ. Joshua chapter 5, you're familiar with the story when, when Joshua was facing the walls of Jericho. Um, and the Bible says that he looked up and he saw a man. Uh, he was a commander of the army of the Lord. Now, what's amazing is that, that Joshua, he saw a man, but the problem was it wasn't a man. It was a commander of the army of the Lord, which tells us that sometimes that we can find ourselves uh, not realizing the spiritual in a situation. We only see, oftentimes see the natural, but this wasn't just a man. This was a preview of Jesus Christ. It was a commander of the army of the Lord. And I love the story because the Lord told Joshua to, to, you know, for so long, Joshua, he was a skilled military strategist of that day. And Jesus said, if you're going to win this fight, if you're going to win this battle, you've got to go my way and not your way. And that's one of the hardest things to do is to lay down our sword, to lay down the strength of our own effort and our own flesh and say, God, this is a battle that can only be won by you. This is a battle that can only be won by the Lord. And oftentimes, God, well, we get so used to, to, to the way that we do things. We get so used to our customs. We, we get so used to how we go about living for God. But when God takes you in a new season, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to put you in a place in a position where you can no longer rely on strategies of the past, but you're going to have to believe me and you're going to have to trust me. It might seem crazy. It might not make sense. When God says, I want you to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and I want you to do it silent. God, don't you know what they're going to think? They're going to think I'm crazy. They're, they're going to think that we're foolish. And God's going to say, if you want my victory, you've got to go my way. If you want victory in your life, you've got to lay down your sword and you've got to realize that this victory can only come through the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This victory can only come through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So there's previews of Jesus all throughout the word of God. Now I want to talk about tonight because if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4 says, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it, or uh, you could say you put up with it way too easily. Now, I, I want to deal with a question, what's the Bible mean when it refers to following after another Jesus? Because I feel like this is uh, an expression that gets thrown out so easily. Uh, people way too easily say that somebody is following another Jesus. If you're uh, reading a different King, uh, version of the King James, uh, they're following a different Jesus. That's not what following a different Jesus means. So what does the Bible actually mean when it comes to following another uh, Jesus. Paul was making it very clear here that their Jesus was not his Jesus. It was not the friend and the brother who had died for all men that he might reconcile them to God. Now, it's very possible that, that they spoke of Jesus as the head of a, of a Jewish kingdom 
and requiring circumcision and all the ordinances of the law as a condition. And that was a different Jesus than the Jesus that Paul was preaching. So another Jesus is one who is not the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as revealed in Scripture. It's a, it's a Jesus that is not a biblical one. Now, I'm going to give you some examples tonight of a different Jesus because I think it's important. And, you know, anytime we deal with, you know, false doctrine, false teaching, this is never, ever intended to be disrespectful to individuals, but you have to make a distinction sometimes for, for people, otherwise they will not see it. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel, and that is another Jesus. Christian science believes that Jesus was just a man and that Christ is an ideal. That's a different Jesus. The Latter-day Saints, they believe that Jesus is the first of many spirit children, and they also believe that Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers. That's not hearsay that comes directly from the source. That is a different Jesus. Some believe Jesus as, as like a, a spiritual Santa Claus, like a, a genie in a bottle. Just give me wealth. Uh, just give me prosperity. Uh, but there's no surrender. There's no following after Jesus. And Jesus said in his day, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so Jesus, he's not uh, BK. You can't just have it your way. Amen. Jesus, he's not a, a genie in a bottle. Jesus, he wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Redeemer. He wants to be your Deliverer. The Roman Catholic Church believes that the sacrifice on the cross was not sufficient for sins. That's a different Jesus. There are some who claim that they do believe it, but when you really get down to the nitty-gritty and you find out what they actually believe, it becomes a workspace walk with God to where the cross wasn't sufficient for them. But they believe you've got to do, 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 do in order to get to heaven. You know, oftentimes when we did street evangelism, and we've done street evangelism all over the place, uh, New Orleans, uh, uh, a lot of foreign countries, Mississippi, New York City. Uh, we've done it in a lot of different places. But, you know, I oftentimes, I've, I'd ask people, uh, I like to ask them, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, they'll say that they're going to heaven. And then I'll ask them the question, why do you believe that you're going to heaven? And, and oftentimes, they'll resort back to, I did this, I did that. I was baptized when I was seven. I was confirmed at this age. I go to church. I'm a good person. Uh, I've never been to jail. This, th this that, and the other. And Although some things are commendable, there is absolutely nothing that can make you right with God other than faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross. When you have your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, you are 100% washed clean. That's the Jesus that we serve in the word of God. You know, you know uh, the, the book of Mormon says that you are saved by grace through faith after all you can do is what it says. No, you are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the Jesus of this book says that the moment you believe, you are washed, you are clean, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God, that's the Jesus that we believe in. Judaism believes that Jesus is a dead prophet. Eastern mysticism believes that Jesus is a dead teacher. That's a different Jesus. Islam even believes that Jesus was a prophet, but they do not believe that Jesus 
was the son of God. They do not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, and they do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. Now, I remember I was preaching to some Muslims one time down in Missouri, and I think I shared this story before. I didn't really plan to end up in the um, position I was in. It was, I think it was after my first year, my first semester of Bible college, I was back there mis, uh, visiting in Missouri. And, you know, I, I never know, I grew up in Missouri, but I never noticed there was this Islamic center there. So I just kind of pulled into the parking lot, just curiosity got the, the best of me. But how many of you know that curiosity killed the cat? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm still here today, praise God. But I, I, I pulled into this uh, parking lot and there's a Muslim that was getting the mail. And so, you know, he greeted me at the window. I told him up front, I told him I was a Christian, told him at that time I was going to a Bible college. So, you know, he wanted to show me the building. I was like 50-50, should I do it, should I not do it? Uh, nobody else was there at the time. So, you know, I went in and just kind of checked out the lobby. I was just curious, you know. And then I didn't realize, but it was one of their five times of prayer a day. So there are all these Muslims showing up. There's probably eventually 30 or 40 Muslims that were uh, in the uh, lobby of this building. And they, were, they all knew I was a Christian and they were getting ready to do their prayer. And so, and, but they wanted to have a conversation with me once they got done. So as they were praying, uh, I went out to the car and I got my Bible. Amen. <laughs> you want to be equipped. Amen. Went out, got my Bible, came back in the lobby and I, I hear them over there praying on their knees so I just started walking back and forth in the lobby. Just calling on the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, I know that you're real. I've got the Holy Ghost on the inside of me. And it bears witness that you are the true God. And you are the one and only true God. Hallelujah. I was just magnifying Jesus and the Holy Ghost in the middle of this Islamic center. Somebody say... Either that's crazy, or you got faith, or that's crazy faith. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> but when they got done praying, they came out to the lobby, and I just began to share the word of God with them, began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And I asked them the question, I said, do you believe that Jesus was a prophet? And they said, yes, we do. I said, well, in order for a prophet to be a true prophet, that means that everything that prophet prophesied was true. Is that correct? They said, yes. I said, well, Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the, to the Father but by him, that he is the door, and that if any man comes any other way, he is a thief and a robber. They'll say that Jesus is a way to God, that he is a prophet to God, but that he's not the only way. But Jesus, as, the, as a true prophet, prophet. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I've got news for you here tonight. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh, and he died on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago for you and for me. Hallelujah. And one of them, he kind of bucked up, and he said that it was foolish, the idea that Jesus died on the cross. I said, well, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness unto them who perish, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. To the unsaved, it is foolish. 
But to those who are saved, those who are born again, we know that it is the power of God. Hallelujah. Man came too late to tell me that it ain't real. Man came too late to tell me that Jesus doesn't save. Man came too late to tell me that what we experience ain't the power of God. Hallelujah. It is the power of God. Hallelujah. We know that those who follow after false messiahs will be ones who do not believe in the true messiah described in this book. Now, I want to deal with another doctrine here, and that's uh, the Jesus died spiritually doctrine. How many of you have heard, that, heard of that before? The Jesus died spiritually doctrine. There's a teaching called the Jesus died spiritually doctrine. I want to talk about it tonight and really how it's unscriptural. It's a doctrine that Jesus not only died physically, but it, that he died spiritually. I want to go ahead and say that's not correct. First, right off the bat, a spirit cannot die. A spirit is an immortal being. And of course, God cannot die. Otherwise, the whole universe would fall apart. And Jesus is God. So if Jesus would have died spiritually, then the whole universe would have collapsed. Jesus, he died physically, but he did not die spiritually. And so there are many preachers today who teach that Jesus died spiritually. And as defined by them, this concept is a false doctrine. They are saying that Jesus died on the cross and then went to hell where he finished the atoning work. And, and this is really a denial of the sufficiency of the cross. Some say that Jesus also lost his divine nature and adopted the nature of Satan while in hell. This denies the deity of Christ. Others teach that Jesus had to be born again, and this is a denial of the holiness of Christ's nature. And whichever variation is adopted, it's still wrong. The truth is that Jesus finished the atoning work on the cross. He never stopped being divine. He never suffered in hell. And he did not need to be born again. When Jesus said it is finished, it meant it is finished. He didn't say it's almost finished, but now I'm going to finish it in hell. No, it is finished means it is finished. When Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross and he gave up the ghost, when he said it is finished, it meant death, hell, and the grave was defeated. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So who is the Jesus of the Bible? He is the almighty God. He's the anointed one. He's the author of life. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the advocate to the father. He's the anchor to your soul. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright in the morning star. He's your brother, your bridegroom, your beloved. He's your banner. He's the bread of life. He's a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's your blessed hope. He's your confidence, your comforter, and your counselor. He's the door into everlasting life. He's your dwelling place. He is the express image of God. He's the end of the law for righteousness. He's the exceeding great re reward. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the fairest of all. He's a former of all things. He's your forerunner into the holy of holies. He's your friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's faithful and true. He's the fountain of living water. He's your foundation. He's the giver and guarantee of salvation. Singers can come back. He's a good shepherd. He's a great I am. He's the just and the justifier. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He is love. He's the light of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's 
He's the Lamb of God that was slain. He's the lifter of your head. He's the living one. He's the lily of the valley. He's the last Adam. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Messiah. He's the manna from heaven. He's the mediator of a better covenant. He's name. He's the name above all names. He is near and not far. He is the Passover. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the power of God. He's a priest and a purifier. He's a pearl of great price. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the rock of ages, the redeemer, the righteousness of God, the refuge in the time of storm, the river of life, the renewer of your mind, the restorer of your soul, the seed of the woman that bruised the serpent's head, the son of God, the son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. He's the soon coming king. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever.